Hi, it's Christine DeBell. You may remember me from Meatballs or The Big Brawl. And you are listening to Then Is Now Podcast. Warning, warning. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hello and welcome to the Then Is Now 13 Days of Hallotober for 2023. I'm your host, Rigor, and our topic this year is werewolf movies. And joining me today is, of course, Bill Van Rin from Driving Asylum and Groovy Doom, and also frequent guest co-host, Michael. Welcome, guys. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hello. Good. Ow! Glad to have you guys. Yeah, I gotta do my Wolfman Jack impersonation. <laughs> I'm ready to howl. <laughs> oh my god that's awesome oh man i i i have to say all right so the wife and i last night went out uh so we're recording this in early september but you guys listening at home will hear this in october but the wife and i went out last night to see this uh local band their 70s cover band called motor booty affair and apparently i i enjoyed myself a little too much because i have several injuries that i i cannot explain <laughs> i do not know how that was oh happening <laughs> My shoulder's killing me. I've got scrapes on my knees and my elbows. <laughs> Be careful. Oh, God. Good thing you don't have any broken bones. Fuck. I know, kidding, huh? That's, that Charlene was like, oh, my God, did you, it, did you break your shoulder? And I was like, mm. I think if I broke my shoulder, I'd be crying in pain right now more so than just feeling pain. You know what I mean? Does she remember what happened? Vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A good uh, time with that by all. Yes, yes. And yes. I did record today. I, of course, folks have already heard this one. And by the time they're listening to this, is uh, I recorded with George and Jean from the Drive-In Super Monster Rama, which is happening at the end of September. And as I mentioned off mic, I can't, I can't wait to go. Um, it's going to be fun. We're finally able to sort of make it a regular thing where they do this. Um, well, Bill, do you want to explain what they do? Well, um it's been going on since 2008. Uh, at first, it was only a show in September. And usually, it was a little earlier in September, if I remember correctly. And eventually, it turned into two shows a year. One in September, one in April. They do Friday and Saturday night, four movies each night. It's a mega marathon of classic, mostly horror films. Uh, more like just drive-in films i guess i would call them um really you can do anything right when you're a drive-in theater and right it's just more it's more about a retro experience of going to uh a dust to dawn show at a drive-in which is a dying thing or at least it was until recently now i i think george was one of the first people to start putting shows like this together uh maybe not the first but he was close to it and now there are several other uh, folks that are doing the same thing in different parts of the country, which is exciting. Yeah, the the Mahoning in Pennsylvania is doing it as well. It's something similar, not the same thing, but yeah, yeah, they do stuff all the time. Like that's all they do is retro film screening. So it's it's a constant thing at the Mahoning. Yeah. Yeah, and I've mentioned before in the show, we have one up here in Maine 
called the Pride's Corner Drive-In. And um, uh, at least during 2020, the guy that runs it was doing horror movies every Saturday night at midnight. So we saw like The Thing and The Shining and just a bunch of amazing films. I think Evil Dead 2 was one of them. Um, I'd like to get something like like what um, George and Gene are doing going on around here, but that'll happen eventually. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this September we saw uh, some awesome films. There's Blood Feast from 1963, 2000 Maniacs, Impulse, which I just got the DVD that, um, oh, the Blu-ray, I should say, that, Bill, you had some stuff on there. And Yeah, uh, miscredited as Drive-In Delirium. Oh, that's right. I saw that. That I am on there. I love the guys from Grindhouse. They're fabulous for asking me to be a part of it. And I hope you like the ad gallery. I found lots of really awesome vintage ads for Impulse. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. Mike, have you seen Impulse? No. Oh, my God. you got to see this movie. It's with William Shatner. And I think it's one of his best performances. I mean, he is, like, Mm -hmm. completely off the rails in this movie. It's so good. (laughs) Yeah, for uh, once, it's not the Bill Shatner that you're used to seeing. Well, it is, but but it isn't. It's yeah, it's yeah. like it's like Captain Kirk from the alternate Earth. Where <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, Shriek of the Mutilated also, which is a good one. I which I um I picked that up on uh, Blu-ray as well because Gene from the uh, Drive-In Monsterama was highly recommending it the last time I spoke to him, and I'm like, all right, I got to see this movie. I had seen it once when I was a kid, like I rented it on VHS, but I didn't remember it. But that's a fun one. That's one of my that's favorite movies. That's such a movies. great title. It is, isn't it? Shriek How of could the you not want to see that movie? I know, right? <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of ever. And it's just really uh, bizarre. It's like a demented episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. That's a great description. And then that, that day, Friday, was the um, there was titled, was subtitled Crazies and Cannibals. And Saturday was Echo or Eco Abominations, which uh, included the films Humanoids from the Deep, 1980, about a bunch of uh, half-fish, half-men that go around raping women, Uh, Grizzly from 76, Piranha from 78, and Day of the Animals from 1977, which that's one of my all-time favorite. Uh, I think I saw that one. It's got Leslie Nielsen in it in one of, I think, his best performances. God, the title sounds really familiar. I'd have to look it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll have to watch it. It's so good. And uh, Day of the Animals and Grizzly were directed by uh, William Girdler, who's done a bunch of great movies. Not a lot. He said only a handful. He died young at age 30, but um, he did another one called. um, uh, Oh, my God. What's the one with Tony Curtis, Bill? The Manitou. The Manitou, which I love that movie. Spencer hates that movie because he hates the ending, but. Manitou Any, is anything called Grizzly. I definitely want to see. Oh, yes. Grizzly! That's one of the better Jaws ripoffs that came out in the wake of Jaws. It's literally Jaws on land. Oh, really? In, including the dastardly park authorities who want to keep the park open, <laughs> even though there's a killer grizzly eating people. Oh my God! Um, it's it's pretty fantastic. Most of what Bill Girdler did was amazing. Uh, he his early movies were he did an Ed Gein film called Three on a Meat Hook. Yep, like based on the Ed Gein murders, and also Asylum of Satan. Yes, which was pretty fun. Um, he did an Exorcist ripoff called Abby. Right, that's a black exploitation movie. Yeah, it was like the black version of The Exorcist, and it, it was it, it it made so much money right when it was released that uh, the distributor american international pictures had it pulled because they were afraid they were going to get sued by warner brothers the warner brothers was getting sue happy over people who were trying to rip off the exorcist and even though abby really does not resemble the exorcist more than just a little uh, they got gun shy about it and they just you know they snuck it out a couple more times over the next couple of years but it's really a fantastic film. Yeah, yeah. Must be seen to be believed. And didn't Universal sue Grizzly because of Jaws? I don't think there was a lawsuit. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm not sure. Maybe just like a cease and desist order or something. Like, stop. <laughs> stop copying us. Stop making money from no. ripoffs of us. I don't no, know. They, never, they never had any kind of injunction against Grizzly because that, that film <laughs> played everywhere in the 70s. Oh. Like throughout the 1970s. Oh, okay. Well, it came out in 76. 
Yeah, yeah. One 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 year shy of uh, Jaws. One year after Jaws, I should say. Um, and of course, Piranha is like the ultimate Jaws ripoff. But that's such a great movie. Yeah, they did not get sued because Spielberg saw it and he loved it. Right, he, <laughs> right. He didn't want to, he didn't want to sue them because he liked the movie. Oh wow! He even hired Joe Dante to do Gremlins. Right, right. And speaking of Joe Dante, folks, we today we are going to discuss Joe Dante's classic 1981 werewolf movie, The Howling. So let's get right into it. That was a smooth segue. Thank yeah, you. did you like that? <laughs> mm. That was quite good. What do you see? What's that? The Howling. Somewhere in the city. In this human jungle. It begins. Just try. He's right there. What do you see? What's there, Karen? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods, in this primal, sensuous, secret place, lies an experience too terrifying for words. And now, all anyone can do is watch and wait. Tonight I'm going to show you something. Make you believe. After a bizarre and near-fatal encounter with serial killer Eddie Quist, a television newswoman named Karen White is sent to a remote mountain resort led by author and behavior expert Dr. George Wagner. Karen soon finds that the residents may not be what they seem. So, uh, when did you guys first see this and what was your first impression? Bill, you go first. I first saw it on HBO. Uh, I was already a regular Fangoria reader by this point though so i knew about the film and i actually somebody took me to see american werewolf in london theatrically but the howling i had to wait until it was on hbo and i have to admit i love it a lot more than american werewolf um i i think it's it's a lot funnier than american werewolf you know american werewolf it's great and i'm not going to take i would never try and like take that away from from it. It, it, it definitely deserves the audience that it has. But for me, the howling is a little, it's a little more cynical. It's a little more snide, the humor in it. And it's just, you know, overall, it's, it, 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 there are a lot of in jokes that kind of, you know, make you feel like you're one of the cool kids if you get it. That's what turns me on about the howling. Plus, it's just a really, really good movie. Nice. Nice. My kill? I guess I must not be one of the cool kids because <laughs> <laughs> when when you said, oh, there's humor, and I was like, what humor? <laughs> like, like, probably all went over my head. Um, I know I didn't see it on the big screen, uh, but I don't remember. I have a feeling this was one that I had seen before you started getting me all into horror, Roger. I don't think I watched <laughs> it with you the first time. Okay. I don't know if I watched it with someone else or on my own or if I stumbled across it while it was on TV. But, um, yeah, I've always loved this. Like, whenever somebody says werewolf movie, I, the howling is the first one I think of. Um, in particular, the scene where uh, the, the not the main character, but the second newswoman uh, is is being attacked in that in that house. Uh, that scene just always stuck with me in my head and. I just I love it. I actually read the book um, a couple of years ago, and it's not it's not an identical adaptation, but it, it's the movie is like loosely based on the book. <laughs> to say the least, yeah, it's very different, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's like yeah. a certain a couple of the main points are in there. You know, like the like the the Marsha character, you know, seducing the husband and whatever. Like that stuff's in there, but a lot of the other stuff isn't. But I I gotta say. Yeah, I, I think 
the howling probably pops into my head as my favorite werewolf movie when when the topic comes up i immediately think oh the howling's awesome (laughs) so yeah yeah yeah, I definitely saw this in the movies. I remember my mother covering my eyes uh, when, uh, what's her name, Dee Wallace was in the porno, uh, you know, the porno video shop at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but- Mom. <laughs> and that was kind of an unsettling scene. I wonder if that was like from a real movie or if they shot it for the. Oh, they shot know. it for the movie. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah. Oh, they, okay. In fact, I- they had to explain that to somebody, I think, when they had it developed. Because it looked uh, like it was an actual, you know, not assault. a snuff film, but like, you know, an actual scene where someone was getting raped. It looked a little too real. It did, yeah. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Nightmare 1981, that was a great year for werewolf movies. Because like you mentioned, Bill, there was um, American Wolf in London, which I love. And The Wolfen, which is one I have to revisit. I remember liking it when I saw it. I, I don't think I've seen it more than a couple times since 81. So I'm going to have to check that one out again. But um. You know, I remember not really knowing who Joe Dante was when I saw this, although I did know Dee Wallace. I recognized her from E.T. and um, a couple of other things. Maybe actually Coo- E.T. Was- what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, E.T. and Cujo, I think they came out after this because E.T. was 82. That kind of yeah. competed with the thing. So I don't know. See, she was just familiar to me, at least anyways. But, the, you know, like you guys mentioned, this movie fueled my imagination for werewolves. And watching it this time around, too, there was a lot of depth to it that I hadn't noticed before. And we'll, we'll get into that at a later point. But mm. um, what were you going to ask, Michael? I, I, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask if, if it was before or after Cujo. And you were in the middle yeah. of saying that. So, yeah, <laughs> you answered the question. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. We had Dee Wallace on the show a while back, and she said Cujo was her favorite of all the horror films she's done. Really? Um, I'm just looking it up real quick. I think I probably mentioned this on one of the other podcasts, but the book and the movie, that's another one where they are the ending is very different in the book. Oh, okay. It's way darker in the book. Yeah. Yeah, she explained in I guess that whole scene where she had to smash the window of the the of the hatchback of the car to get the yeah. kid out is they had been shooting, it was ridiculously hot, you know, that she'd been in the car for hours and hours upon end. And um when she went to do that scene, they didn't even it wasn't even a breakaway glass window. It was a, I think it was a real window and she was just like all I knew is I had to get this kid out of there. And they were like, okay, well, you break it, and then we'll do something in post or whatever. And she fucking smashed the window <laughs> and grabbed the kid and pulled him out, and they did not expect it. Like, And that's why I think if you watch it, like the whole scene, the camera follows her from there all the way up to the house because that's exactly what she did. She was just like, I got to get this kid out of here. You know, yeah. as an actress, that was just what was going through her head, and she just grabbed him and ran. <laughs> she probably like also partly wanted to go home, like – been yeah. doing this all goddamn day. <laughs> oh my god, it so, was hot. Yeah, 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 it was a like, brutal, I guess. So, as we mentioned, this film's directed by Joe Dante, who would, uh, beca- I think, because of this movie, um, and like you said, Spielberg liked it. He went on to do Gremlins and uh, just so many other amazing films, um, like The Burbs. I think he did The Burbs, which I love with Tom Hanks. That's a fun movie. Yeah. And um, this just you showed me that one. Yeah, that's a great movie. And he just packed so many references into this movie. I mean, if you notice at one point in the doctor's office, I think in the scene, Michael, that you mentioned where the um, the chick there, I'm trying to think what her name is, was oh, Belinda Belaski, who played Terry Fisher in this. She was also in Gremlins. Uh, She was in Amazon Women on the Moon, which I thought she was real haughty in this movie. And um, me too. There's a there's a shot of a photograph hanging on the wall with Lon Chaney Jr. or young Lon Chaney Jr. in it. No way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I noticed one thing in this movie where I think it's when the um uh the uh, I think it's when the husband is getting attacked and bitten. But there was in this scene I noticed that the music was like pipe organ yes. music, like very old style movie music and I thought, "Oh, that's kind of cool." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This movie had a great soundtrack, a great score, I should say. Yeah. And uh, I did notice that, too, because I was like, because it, it had that sort of, like you said, the organ. It was that, like that, um, like not that song, but that kind of feel to it, you know? Yeah. That yeah. was really cool. 
We had three writers on here. We had Gary Brandner, who um, he pretty much wrote all seven sequels. Um, that's the guy that wrote the book. That's yeah, that's why he's credited is because he's Brandner the author wrote of the, the original novel. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Um, he also wrote Cameron's Closet from '88, which was I remember watching that when it first came out on video, but I don't remember if it's any good. <laughs> um, John's, I don't remember that either. Yeah, I I do remember renting it because I'm pretty sure I I made a copy of it on VHS. I still have it somewhere. Um, but John Sales, who also wrote Piranha and Alligator, um, he's he sort of mainly wrote this movie. He's the one who kind of changed it from the book. Um, yeah. And Terrence Winkless, who directed a film called The Nest from 87, which we'll have to cover on Fright Lounge at some point. Um, and he directed a bunch of Power Rangers stuff. He's also got a credit in here. But let me see if I can find in my notes. Um, yeah, Gary Brenner, right. He, his book was published. The Howling was published in 77. Um, there was a guy named Jack Conrad who was supposed to be the original director. And he uh, he had troubles with the studio. So he left. And uh, Winkless's script they didn't like that either so joe dante basically hired john sales to rewrite the whole thing <laughs> well i think if they had made the movie exactly following the book it would not have been as good yeah i mean it was fine to read as a story to read but it wasn't nearly as exciting as the book i mean as the movie really i'm gonna have to read that book now mm. i have so well, much I I thought that because I was coming from being a fan, I saw the movie first. So well, I yeah, just, you know, right. I, w I wanted it to be just like the movie, and it wasn't. So I just was like, oh, well, this sucks. I enjoyed the book. I wouldn't, I'm not saying I hated it, but like in the in the book, they are not like werewolves that stand on their hind legs. They're just wolves. Like people turn yeah. from a person into a wolf, and that's it. Like they don't, it's not like a monster kind of thing. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, you know what? I th I'm trying to remember. Bill, do you, do you recall which came out first theatrically? Was it American Werewolf or this one? Um, I think American Werewolf came out first. Okay, because in that, he just basically becomes this sort of dire wolf, you know, this giant wolf kind of thing, um, even though he has the awesome transformation scene. But in this, this is the one for me, and I'm sure for you guys as well, is what cemented sort of the, the bipedal, humanoid werewolf that we all know and love because i mean shortly after this in what 89 90 they had fox had that show werewolf with uh john j york as um hmm. eric cord in it and uh, yeah. uh what's his name uh oh chuck connors was the villain in yes that. but that was the same kind of werewolf like this movie you know and i think this movie sort of inspired like we've seen the wolfman we've seen a lot of the paul nashy films all these ones that came before and they're basically a hairy dude in his regular clothes, you know? <laughs> yeah. But this sort of, when they stand up, they've still got like that, that dog like rib cage and the snout. And, you know, they, they look yeah. so much cooler than, as much as I love the Lon Chaney, they look so much cooler. The effects of this movie were done by Rob Bottin. Yeah. And actually, now that I think about it, The Howling did come out first because that came out earlier in 81. And American Werewolf was closer to Halloween, I think, like. September or August it came out. Okay. But uh, Rick Baker left The Howling to go work on American Werewolf. Right. Rob Bottin was his apprentice, and he just left Rob Bottin in charge of The Howling. And, you know, I think both of them did stellar work, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. both movies were lauded for their special effects, but The Howling was a little bit of a lower budget, and there were a couple scenes where uh, the werewolves... Uh, were portrayed by puppets, yes, which helped mm. add to their non-human look. Like they they had this very strange shape to them. That it, it wasn't like a wolf. It wasn't like a man. It was it was like they were their own thing. And also, there's a scene where the werewolves are cartoons. Yep. Like yes. Where um you know Christopher Stone and Elizabeth um Elizabeth. Oh, um, yeah, Brooks. Elizabeth Brooks are having sex by the fire and they transform into werewolves, which is an amazing scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Christopher Stone disrobing right in front of me changed my life. <laughs> as, as did Marsha disrobing, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, she was a very beautiful woman. She's in an episode of The Night Stalker. Yes. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, she died very young yeah. due to cancer. 
Yeah, she was 46 and she died in 97. Yeah, shit. She was also Um, on the $6 million man in uh, Days of Our Lives as well. Yeah. She had a very exotic sort of Karen Black look to her. Yes. Yeah. uh, Anyway, that was, um, you know, the the story behind the effects of The Howling. And also um, the, the marketing of the film was very confused because 1981 was the look. It was the year of the slasher. Right. And slasher movies were big bucks at the box office. So there was a strange marketing angle where they kind of tried to make this look like a slasher movie and downplay the fact that it's a werewolf movie. The title is The Howling. Okay. You're not going to get much more werewolf than that. Um, But if you look at some of the trailers, the TV spots that came out, they focus a lot on the serial killer aspect of it. And they don't really come right out and say it's a werewolf film. Even th- that image that we have, we all know of, there's like, you know, wolf animal claws tearing through some sort of barrier. Right. And in one of the tears, you see a woman's screaming mouth. Uh, they didn't know what to do with that because there's, you know, the claws on one side and then a woman's screaming mouth in the other part. Then the second week it was in theaters, they drew fangs on the woman's mouth. So as if, wait, is she a monster? Is she escaping a monster? It was all very mixed up. I don't know what they were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at one of them right now. It's like, imagine your worst fear, a reality. So that's so vague. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, you got audited? Huh? That's my worst fear, is getting audited. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah, and and let's talk about the cast a little bit. Of course, we mentioned Dee Wallace. Um, You know, she had been around, as we said. Um, Maybe this probably was the first movie that I I recognized her in. (coughs) Excuse me. And then then later on went, oh, that's the lady from The Howling, you know. But, of course, we have Patrick McNee, who was, um, (coughs) excuse me, he was John Steed on the Avengers TV series, no relation to the comic book of the same name. And uh, I always remembered him for, as playing Count Iblis in Battlestar Galactica um, in 1978, 79, around there. Um, and it, what's funny is his character was Dr. George Wagner, and George Wagner was the name of one of the producers of The Wolfman in 1941. So I thought that was a nice little obscure nod. All of the characters in The Howling are named after werewolf film directors. Oh, they okay. are. Yeah. Terry Fisher, that's Terrence Fisher. Oh, right, okay. The director. Um, the, the, uh, the TV station manager is Fred Francis. Right. Freddie Francis. Kevin McCarthy. George Wagner. Yep. Um, so it, 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 uh, they're all, it's, it's sort of like an in-joke as to who they are. Oh, and Dick Miller plays his character yes. that he is in Bucket of Blood. Yeah. He's Walter Paisley in yeah. this movie. Although they never call him that, I don't think, but that is who he's acting as. And it's the same. He was Walter Paisley in Gremlins, also. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I love him. I love seeing him. In fact, when he came on the screen, I was like, you know, my wife and my grandson were like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, it's Dick Miller. Oh my God. <laughs> Get the bookshop and selling the silver bullets. If you know, you know. Yeah, exactly. The the way they handled the silver bullets uh, in the movie, I thought was great. Um, that he said, "Oh, some guy ordered the guy in the shop." The guy who owned the shop told them that somebody had ordered them but never picked them up. Yeah, and that they were just there. And then later on, when the when the guy was returning to the scene, he went to the store and just grabbed them. And uh, I thought that was cool. Yes. Yeah, it was a great way of setting it up and then making you forget about it, you know? Yeah. Um, that character was Chris Halloran. The actor that played him was Dennis Dugan. Um, I don't know about you, Bill, but Mike, do you remember that show? It was very short-lived that I used to love and we talked about. It was called Shadow Chasers. And it was... Yes. The, he, was he was one of the guys in that show. He was I've Benny. Seen him. Oh, you mean the, the reporter guy? Yes. yes. Yeah. He was the one that believed in the occult and everything. And then he was teamed up with a guy who didn't believe in anything. And at the end of every episode, something would happen that would make them question, wait a minute, maybe this really was supernatural. I you do know? remember that now. Yes. 
And the guy who owned the shop in the Howling, I've seen him in tons of stuff. Oh yeah, we were just talking about that's that's Dick, Dick, Dick Miller. Miller. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's Dick. I'm sorry, I was moving from one room to the other. Because sorry. My, yeah. <laughs> no, I heard you saying Dick Miller, Dick Miller, but I didn't put it together with the. I remember yeah, Joe Dante calling Dick Miller his good luck charm, and that's why he always put him in his movies. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so. I love it when uh, this is kind of a, a like a tangent, but it's very short. Um, I don't know why, but as I get older, when I'm watching a movie, especially when I've seen before or even like a TV show, whatever. Anyway, I really love it when there's an actor in the in a scene. Not I'm not talking about these two particular people, but who only has like one line or two lines. And I just feel like they just nailed it. Like you only have one line, but you're not you're not saying it as if you're reading it off the script. You're saying it as if that person would really like in this case, in this movie, it was at the beginning after the after in the porn shop, after the cops shot through the thing and everybody was there and the cops came and uh, the, the shop owner uh, goes uh, comes up and leans against the door next to the cop and he goes. I knew I shouldn't have let that broad in here. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> that was so genuine. I was like, dude, good for you. You got like two lines in the movie and you He's really made me movies. believe it. Yeah. <laughs> oh I don't know God. why. I just, I think that's so great. Cause you know, if you don't have a lot of dialogue, you don't have a lot of chances to show your character. So you got to make, make do with what you have. You right. Know? Right. And it was totally believable. You know, it's a dead body, and all he cared about is, like, shit, I shouldn't have let that chick in here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Dennis, I never noticed the smiley face snickers, st- stickers until this time watching it. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, there's a smiley face yeah. on the phone booth, and then in the... Yeah. I never picked up on that before. <laughs> yeah. And Belinda Belaski sees one at the cabin. Yes. yes. When she, right before she's attacked. She's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Eddie must have a sheet of those smiley face stickers that he stole from his teacher. <laughs> I was going to say, back then, where the hell did you get them from? But I did want to... Go ahead. No, go ahead, Dugan. Dennis Dugan went on to work with Adam Sandler a lot. He's a director, mainly a director now, and he made a whole bunch of movies with Adam Sandler, like um, Happy Gilmore. Yep. And... Um, That's the best one. Yeah, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. And, uh, <laughs> Don't mess with the Zoan. Oh, that's right. Um, yep. I'm sure there's other ones uh, that I'm forgetting, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh my God. Have you seen his IMDb pick though? He looks wicked old now. It's like, I mean, like obviously people get old, but I was just like shocked when I saw his picture when I was doing research for this. <laughs> I don't Adam think he Sandler? was particularly young when, when he made the howling. Right. Right. <laughs> I love that scene. Oh, the yeah. characters are so lovable in this movie. I love when he and Belinda Belaski are in bed. And the phone's ringing. He's like, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get it. I'll, goes, I'll okay. get it. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> He's like nudging her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. You stay there. I'll get it. Yeah, I know. I, ne- I never noticed that until this time around, too. Yeah. Either. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to bring up Christopher Stone, too, who um, he plays uh, D. Wallace's husband in this. He was her yeah. real life husband. And he yeah. died in 95, and she still, to this day, fondly remembers him. She always has nice things to say about him. He was also in Cujo. Um, yes. Which I'm trying to remember. Was he the husband in that, or was he the guy she was having the affair with? Uh, it's been a while since I saw the movie. I can't remember now. Uh, but he was on, on Chips. He was also on Days of Our Lives. You know, and, he, and, and, of course, his character is called William Bill Neal, who was named after the director of Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. In line with what you were saying, Bill, mm-hmm. how they, you know, they're all named after these things like Terrence Fisher. And didn't we just talk about Kevin McCarthy being named Fred Francis in another movie? I'm not sure. I swear to God, I feel like we just had that conversation recently about Kevin McCarthy, who was um, in, of course, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And oh, my brain, my brain is betraying me at the moment. But there was something recently that we talked about and he was named Freddie Francis in that as well. And uh, I'll have to look that up at a later point. But, of course, you know, John Carradine was here. I'm watching the movie going, Jesus Christ, how old is John Carradine? He was only 75 in this. And he he died, unfortunately, in 1998. So, he, I mean, he lived a long life, but had that, you know, that voice. He's he's the one, Mike, who uh, wanted to jump into the fire and kill himself. Mm. I got a burn. Yeah. I got a burn. (laughs) 
I gotta make it stop. Oh my god, he's just so and he's awesome. known previously from where? He was oh, in like other a movies? zillion movies. Yeah, he played Dracula. Oh, okay. um, he in a lot of the Universal films. He was um in a bunch of the Mummy films from Universal. Uh-huh. Um, Jesus Christ, uh, what else has he been in? Carradine yeah. is just like you know classic golden golden horror royalty. He's just, and, and he and he took any kind of job that he could get. It didn't matter what the movie was. He, you could hire John Carradine to be in it. He's been in some really obscure. Uh, well, I don't want to say trash because most movies are not trash to me. The, the Boogeyman comes to mind. Oh, uh, yeah. A really bad movie called Monstroid. Okay. He was in a movie called Monstroid, which was a claymation monster in a a monster in the lake movie. Yeah. 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 It's unbelievable. And then we also had character actor Slim Pickens in this, which, uh, you know, uh, he was the sheriff. You know, I I love me some Slim Pickens. He's the I always think of I always think of um, Blazing Saddles where he's like, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, that was a stage name, right? I think so. I think Slim so. Pickens. Slim Pickens. <laughs> had to be. It had to be, right? Yeah. You'd have to have pretty nasty parents for that to be your real name. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what his real name, if anybody knew what his real name was. like. Well, maybe the parents were like, I don't know. What should we name him? I don't know. We got some Slim Pickens here. Ah, there you go. That's it. Uh, <laughs> or like his real name is some big, long you know, snooty sounding family name from generations previous. And when he started doing movies, he was like, I'll just got to make it something short. Stanislaw Pickens in real life. Yes. Is that real or is that? No, I was just being facetious (laughs) as always. As always. (laughs) Oh my God. I'll try and look that up here. What do you see? Whoa, what the hell is going on? It's wrong. Could you guys hear it? No. Was the, okay, no. that the trailer for the Howling set it play. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Um, you don't know what's going on. I don't know. He's, yeah, right? uh, he was born in near Fresno. Um, blah blah blah. Uh, it doesn't say. It just call it, refers to him as Slim. <laughs> well, that's a that's a show for another Lewis day. Lewis Burton Lindley Jr. Oh really? Yeah. There we go. According to Wikipedia. Oh okay. All right. I was looking at IMDb. Lewis Burton Lindley Jr., better known by stage name Slim Pickens. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, w- I would choose Slim Pickens over that. <laughs> well, there you go. And of L. course, L.B. Lindley. We have to mention Robert Picardo, who was almost unrecognizable here as Eddie Quist. Um, mm-hmm. I think most people listening now will remember him as the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager and one of the Star Trek movies. Uh, but he had small parts in The Burbs, Gremlins 2, Inner Space. He was the one that... Um, uh, what's his name? Martin Short's character gets inside and and like starts altering his face to no no I'm sorry it was Dennis Quaid gets inside Martin Short and alters his face to look like Robert Picardo's character. Um, he's he's another one that's just a, a phenomenal character actor that he's just good in everything that he does. Holographic Doctor and Voyager. Yeah, the Emergency Hologram. I don't know if you ever watched Voyager, yeah. but um, but he was like was one he of like. The- what kind of balding and... yes yeah oh i know who he is okay and uh he was like uh one of the executives in gremlins too that the um the female gremlin was like infatuated with him and <laughs> um he was one him and dick miller were the trash guys in the burbs and they're having oh, like right. this yeah, philosophical yeah. debate oh. while they're doing the trash <laughs> yeah so i um I... No, go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, I had some trouble watching this movie because um, I looked it up and then it said, oh, it's on Prime. You can pay for it. I'm like, well, let me Google it on or let me search it on the Roku. So I looked it up on the Roku and it goes, oh, it's on Shutter," And I've been holding off subscribing again to Shutter because I used to have a subscription. And then for whatever reason, I've never really had a need to. And I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm talking about horror movies all the time. I might as well subscribe to it. It's seven bucks a month, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I subscribed to it. And then it wasn't available there. I, I searched it on Shutter and it wasn't oh. there. I'm like, what the fuck? So then I ended up having to pay the four bucks on Prime, which I didn't want to because I, me too. first of all, shame on me. I should own this movie. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. I don't. I searched my collection and I don't have it. Um, 
So yeah, so I ended up watching it there, but I was I was really pissed. I'm like, what? What bugs me is I have a, a Prime Video account, and when I went to Prime, it was listed as just like one that came with it, and then I went to watch it, and it said, "This is not a you cannot watch this video in your area." And I was like, "What? Oh my God!" So then I went back to the other screen with the thumbnails, and just under that was the you can rent it. <laughs> so I rented it. <laughs> No I don't know. I've had issues with the streaming services lately, and I have I've subscribed to a lot because I have to watch all the soap operas, so it's like really irritating me. But I anyways. didn't mind paying to rent it because I love this movie, so I was happy. Yeah, it was perfectly fine. Yeah, this is uh, such a good movie. Um, so let's talk about the film itself a little bit, unless you guys have more to talk about the actors. Mm-mm. No. Okay. Cool. Um, let's do it. Uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, oh yeah, uh, so they they had gone on to um, doing it. Oh, um, what's his name? Uh, there was a few cameos in this that I wanted to bring up. If you notice, uh, the guy standing outside of the phone booth near the beginning was mm-hmm. uh, Roger Corman. Yeah, digging oh. for change and the change return. Say that again. He sticks his finger in the change return slot to <laughs> yeah. see if there's any coins in there. Because he's so cheap. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. If folks who don't know John, Roger Corman is he's just well known for making movies on the cheap and uh literally like using the lights from from the headlights from cars to light up a scene instead <laughs> of having to pay for having lighting equipment brought in. And then one of the customers in the bookshop which I noticed right away was Forrest J Ackerman who of course was the publisher of uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland. And oh hell. Yeah, all, oh, exactly, all hail. I mean, he's had a ton of cameras. In fact, I remember seeing him when I saw um, uh, Dead Alive in the theaters, also known as Brain Dead, uh, one of Peter Jackson's first films. I think it was like his third film. I remember seeing him in one of the scenes. I'm like, oh, my God, how did they get Forrest Ackerman? <laughs> I'm like, surprised he was even alive when Brain Dead was made. Yeah. I mean, what was that? That had to be like 91, 92, somewhere around there. I think so. I think it might have been 90. Yeah. I'm not sure. I remember I went on a date with a girl to see it, and uh, we saw it in Boston, and we came out of the movie and literally sat in the car and laughed for 10 minutes straight after the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you were laughing oh. at the disembodied colon that farted, weren't you? <laughs> no, we were laughing at I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was so funny. But, yeah, the, you know, you guys mentioned the score was really awesome. Um, we talked mm. about Dennis Dugan and Slim Pickens, but what was that? The thing, the animal that they, I can't remember if they shot it or they found it in the woods. It was, was it a deer or a cow that was dead? Cow. It was a cow. Okay. It was yeah. creepy looking though. It looked, didn't it have like almost human eyes? Human like eyes, I should say. Yeah. I'm not what cows do actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so real cows actually do have, yeah. Human-looking eyes, kind of like that, yeah. Oh, I well, just, and plus, it was like on the ground, looking up, you know, at a weird angle, so it looked even more like right, right, yeah. And there were a few nods, of course, to the Wolfman in this. Not only was there a clip of the movie, uh, uh, of, of the film during the in the middle of the movie, but at the very yeah. end of the credits, they had another clip. I was going to say that too. There was like a there was a like end credit scene, which I I never had known existed before the Marvel movies. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, I never knew that there was ever anything at the end of the credits. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, because I've traditionally always sat through the credits, so I often would catch them long uh-huh. before Marvel ever did them. And there was one, um, what was the um, House of a Thousand Corpses had a scene at the very end of the credits. Oh, that's right. I, I forget what that was. That it was the, the, the doctor scientist guy operating on someone. Um, I can't really remember it either. I just remember it was like an operating scene. Dr. Satan. Yes, that's what it was. Dr. Satan doing something crazy. <laughs> but it, it, nutty. Oh, my God. I'd love that. <laughs> this one at the end of the howling is the, the woman, like, I guess, like a gypsy woman saying, you know, now go and God help you. And yes. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so awesome to put that at the end of the movie. <laughs> like. That was, yeah. of course, Maliva, played by Maria Ospenskaya, who is just, she was awesome. She was so good as the gypsy woman. And I think in real life, she like was an acting teacher. And mm. she'd become popular from being in The Wolfman and other, she'd been in tons of other films before that. And uh, 
But yeah, that you're right. That is a great clip. Go now and heaven help you. Yeah. <laughs> we can't forget James Murtaugh, who was uh, one of the people who was living at the colony. He was the A1 steak sauce guy in the commercials. Oh, that's right. A lot of these actors did commercials. I mean, Belinda Belaski did a bunch of commercials. I remember seeing her in a coffee commercial after I saw The Howling, and I was like, that's Terry. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, the one thing I wanted to bring up that I, I, I guess I had noticed it before, but it really didn't register till this time around was, because I've seen this movie quite a few times. I'm going to say, like, at least 100 times, but... Um, the, the Patrick McNeese character, the doctor, his whole message about trying to get the werewolves to integrate into society, it didn't really, it didn't really stick with me before. And watching it this time around, it was, I found it very fascinating that he was like, look at times are changing. We need to change too. We need to integrate better into regular human society. And then one character even says, well, there are, there are cattle, you know, and yeah. You know, that's all well and good. Yeah. However, if you kill all the cattle, you have nothing to eat. <laughs> you know, it, it sort of had that uh, wolf from 1994 with Jack Nicholson. Yes. That angle that these people, these werewolves could be infiltrating our society. And you, you don't know because these they weren't bound by the rule of the full moon. Like right. that yeah. was presented as nothing but lore in, in this movie's world because they can change anytime they want to. Dick right. Miller so, says that in, yeah. in the bookshop. Mm -hmm. These people were, you know, really sort of, they, if they could integrate into society, they would be people like Jack Nicholson in Wolf. The yes. way he changed after he became a werewolf. Right, right. You know, and it was funny too, speaking of Dick Miller's explanation of them, um, you know, he, he, one of the things he also mentions is how they pretty much in three days they could lose a limb and in three days they'll have it back again. And that reminded me of the monster squad where the werewolf gets oh, yeah. blown up and, but then literally comes right back together again. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. And then these, uh, the, the, um, um, Terry and the other reporter guy go to the morgue to look for, uh, Eddie's, um, body and it's not in the drawer and the inside <laughs> of the door is all bent and scratched and, that's yeah. John Sales, by the way. The, the writer of the film is the morgue attendant. That's right. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. With yeah, the, that, the fist, and then, the claw marks inside it. Yeah. I love that, too. That's so cool. But then, then the, the, when, they, when, they, when the shop owner tells them about, like, the, the, the people that, like, if you don't kill them with silver or fire, they'll come back. And I look at each other like, fuck, is that what happened with Eddie? You know? Right, right. They're worse than cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Is 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 Dick Miller the guy that sold the guns in Terminator? Yes. Okay. Just what you I see, was just, pal. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone at ease is ideal for home defense. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched that the other day because Aiden wanted to watch it again. So I, I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how Forrest Ackerman is like touching the tarot cards in the shop, and Dick Miller yells at him. He's like, "You're gonna get oil all over them." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if you're going to handle it, just buy it. Oh, the Manson man. kids used to hang around here and shoplift. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is, again, this is one of those quotable movies, you know, with the great effects. And I love the fact that at the uh, end, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen The Howling, it's only been out for, what, 40 years plus. Um,. <laughs> D. Wallace's character is turning into a werewolf, but she looks like a Pekingese dog. She's like the cutest werewolf ever. I know. I don't know what that was about at the end. There was like, she's just supposed to be sympathetic at this point. <laughs> and why did they shoot her? Like, I, I don't know why Dennis Dugan shot her because, you know, they can control what they do when they're a werewolf. She didn't have to kill anyone. I, I always got the impression that she did, she true, hadn't had yeah. the training, though. She didn't know how to control it, and they just figured she was going to go killing people. So, like, their whole plan was, was to, afraid that was she to would do say. it, have her transform in, can, in front of the camera, then him shoot her and have her revert back. Because they already showed us earlier in the film, like, the hand that gets cut mm. off revert, it reverted back to a human hand. Yeah. So I wonder if that's what, you know... I mean, you got to imagine now... Uh, I mean, I haven't... I think I've seen Howling 2... Maybe Howling Three. I haven't seen the other five or six sequels, but you got to imagine that this has changed the world. 
all of a sudden, yeah, although, you know, the people watching it weren't really believing what they saw. Well, yeah, yeah, nobody believes it. So yeah. it didn't change anything. They were just like, oh, the news lady's turning into a werewolf. Yeah. yeah. They assumed it was makeup. That's true. That's true. There was that one guy at the bar that was like, oh, no, yep, she, that happened. She really turned into a wolf. Was sure, he somebody? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know who that was. Good oh. question. I was, I and the guy next to him goes, you're plastered. He goes, doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish they had had a little bit of, I mean, they wanted to keep it, I guess, a little bit mysterious what she was going to do. But um, like before she went on, the the other news guy there was like, I'm not sure if I can handle this. She's like, you have to. Like, Yeah. I was like, and of course they wanted that suspense, but it would have been kind of nice to hear the conversation between them about, you know, why he had to shoot her or whatever. But. I thought it was funny too. The main news anchor there, he's like in the bathroom rehearsing with his deep voice, but he really doesn't yeah. have the deep voice. And didn't he remind you of the news anchor from Die Hard? <laughs> Eat it, Larry. Yes. <laughs> As in Helsinki, Sweden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then his voice changes back. He's like, hey, Bill. Yeah, when yeah, Christopher yeah. First, Stone walks into the bathroom. And yeah. It's like, hey, Bill. I think Christopher Stone doesn't even say anything to him; just looks at him, <laughs> like puts water on his face, walks out. That's some lady you got there. He's like, yeah. yeah. I'd rather she wasn't out there trying to meet a serial killer in a porn shop, right? right. And you know what was funny too? I I I watch the um, TV shows and movies generally speaking with the closed captioning on, just so mm. I don't have to go. Oh, what the hell did he just say? You know, and rewind it or whatever. Um, and so when D. Wallace is doing the transformation, the caption came up and it said, "It just in brackets, it just said howling." And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, how ironic!" <laughs> <laughs> and then of course, at the end of the movie, the film that it wanted to play next was The Wolfman. I was like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Weird. Oh, you had that too? Yep. That's and what, I, what bothered me, though, was at a certain point, I paused it while I was watching it. And at the top, for the title, it just said Howling. And I'm like, no, it's The Howling. Like, right. If it's a title and you remove the word The, it's, you know, depending on the title, it, it fucks it up. Like, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny. And of course, what's her Thank name? You. The uh, Marsha orders a, a hamburger rare at the end. And then the hamburger is getting cooked. The hamburger is getting cooked through the credits. And I'm like, yeah. all right, that's not a rare burger anymore. That's not a rare. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I thought the same, the same thing. thing. Yeah, that's exactly. Gonna, it's going like, to be too after, brown. Yeah. Uh, after the first uh, like 20 seconds, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> You're 20 seconds. Boy, you might as well eat it raw. I'm no kidding. <laughs> Oh, I like. Well, I prefer right. medium I rare. I, I, like I never it. order anything rare, so I don't know how long it takes to cook something rare. I want it. I want it still be have a heart beating in the center of the burger. So <laughs> that's what that's what Chris Baskin used to say about his mom. Oh, really? That he she likes meat so rare she would prefer it to still be moving <laughs> while she's eating it. <laughs> oh my god. Oh so, yeah, I mean, this movie is just so exciting. It was enthralling. I mean, even this time, it's funny, like, watching it. I, like I said, I've seen this movie many, many times. And for some reason, I it didn't play out how I remembered it playing out. And it was much more, you almost went from the whole opening sequence of her trying to find Eddie Quist at the porn shop into the colony thing. And then the whole rest of the movie was pretty much about the colony. And I, I always thought... I don't know. For some reason, in my head, I, I remembered there being a lot more between, you know, her meeting him at the pawn shop and then going to the colony. And there wasn't. And I was like, oh, uh, am I just delirious or <laughs> what? But, uh, you know, either way, it was it, it grabs you from the beginning and it doesn't let you go till the end. So it's, I thought it was good. One thing I thought was funny was um, when Terry uh, goes into that house in the woods and before before she gets attacked. She she's looking around. She's looking around. She goes in. She goes into that room where she sees the drawings and the skulls and stuff. She starts taking pictures. But when she was approaching the house, when she came up onto the porch and everything, there were all these bones and things like hanging there. And oh, she yeah. kind of bumped her head on one of them. And I'm like, why isn't she taking pictures of this stuff? You know, like, right, right. If you were a photographer, wouldn't you be like clicking away? 
Yeah, that's a good point. There but, was so much in the inside there too that I wanted to. I didn't have time, but I wanted to sort of still frame it and see what I could see because, like, there was one picture of, you know, that famous uh, uh, drawing of a man evolving from a caveman into a human, and it was a man yeah. evolving into a, a bipedal werewolf. Yeah, and it had like the the Cro-Magnon skull and then yeah. the, the more modern skull and then the longer snout and yeah. It just, that was very cool. That's the thing. You mentioned the bones hanging on the porch and everything, and that's uh, the set designer Bob Burns oh. worked on the, worked on this film. Who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre? That yeah, Taurus Trap. That's um, what I thought the hills of. Hills have Texas. eyes. Yeah. Is that the Bob Burns, the coll- the famous collector? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh wow. Robert A. Burns. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was awesome. I don't I don't think he's alive anymore though. Right? He died a few years ago. 2004 he passed away oh wow that long ago Jeez. yeah yeah he's he's another one mike he had this like amazing collection of just movie props and autographed stuff from all kinds of horror films that's awesome i actually did pause the movie a couple of times um here and there to look at if there was a um, newspaper article stuck to the wall or like a book on somebody's desk I would sometimes pause to look at it. Yeah, when she first went into the room, um, there was a newspaper article on the wall, and I went back and paused it, and it said something like, rapists neglected to clean off all the blood, or something like that. (laughs) I was like, what (laughs) kind of random headline is that? That's funny. There's no Z in Brazier. (laughs) Yeah, professional journalists spelling words right all right so uh, i think we've done a good job of uh discussing the howling here uh final thoughts on this film bill why don't you go um it's just i i think it's not only is it one of my favorite uh werewolf films it's just one of my favorite films in general Mm. maybe that has to do with when i saw it what age i was when i saw it and the anticipation that went into it because of course like i said i couldn't see it theatrically i had to wait till it was on hbo and that created a lot of anticipation back then Mm. because you had to wait a whole year before it was going to be on hbo right and you know uh, it gives you a lot of time to build things up in your mind so maybe that had something to do with it but i just something about it was just so much better for me than american werewolf i thought it was i thought it was actually scary as opposed yes. to American Werewolf, where, you know, there really isn't a lot of scary stuff in it. And even the scary stuff that happens is funny. It's right. more like clownish. And this movie's funny, too, but in a different way. And mm. um, I think that's what's um, appealing about it to me. Um, and, of course, you know, the actors are wonderful in it, each and every one of them. I love Dee Wallace. I mean, she, she could they could make a movie about her going grocery shopping, and I'd be like, "Wow, this is the best movie ever." So, um, she's coming to a convention soon near here, and oh, nice. um, boy, I'd love to I'd love to get to meet her at least once. I think she's so cool. Yeah, yeah, she was wonderful when we had her on the show. She was awesome. I was very impressed that you got her on your program. I was so excited. Yeah, she was hesitant, and I managed to talk her, uh, you know, assistant into getting her on the show, and she she only gave me a half an hour, and that was it. <laughs> so That's we, enough. Yeah, we had to cram all our questions into a half an hour. That's wow. not bad. Half an hour isn't asking for too much. No, right? not at all. I mean, Bruce Boxleitner told me he'd only give me an hour, and he ended up giving me two. So I was hoping for yeah. a little bit more. But they always talk longer. No matter what they say they're going to give you, they always end up talking longer. Yeah. Unless it, that's just sort of their ripcord, you know, in case you turn out to be a real asshole. Right, right. You're like, oh, my, time's up. Sorry. Yeah. yeah go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And what was his name? The I had the game show host on um, from the, the newlywed game. I can't. I can see his face. I can't think of his name, but I was asking him questions. He's in his nineties, and he's like, "Roger, you're asking me about things that happened fifty, sixty years ago. I don't remember." <laughs> Are you talking about Chuck Woolery? No, not Chuck Woolery. It was. Um, it'll come to me at some point. It was. Uh, all right, now I'm gonna have to look it up. It was the the guy that did the Newlywed Game. Newly. I could have sworn that was Chuck Woolery. No. It was um, Rob Eubanks. 
Oh, right. Uh, he was um he was the first one to bring the Beatles to uh California. And um he had a great story if you folks at home if you get a chance to check out our episode where we where we interviewed him. I guess there was um they were trying to figure out how to get the Beatles out of Shea Stadium without them being, you know, mobbed by uh the fans and all of a sudden the Hells Angels showed up and basically surrounded them and guided them out. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> That didn't work so well for the Rolling Stones. No. Which, oh my God. All right, tangent here. Uh, and then, Mike, we'll get to your final thoughts. But Rolling Stones just released a new album. And Mick Jagger's a fucking 80 years old. And Keith Richards oh is 79. God. And they're still doing it. <laughs> well, someone's doing it. Maybe yeah. not them. But. The, the song they released, Angry, sounded really good. It was, wasn't quite up to their classics, but it was... You know, yeah. better than all the shit that comes out these days in music, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I can't believe they released another album. I know, so. I know. And they they were they were very respectful to the drummer who died. Uh, Watts mm. was it Robert Watts? Charlie Watts. Charlie yeah. Watts. Yeah. So so, anyways, Michael, give us your final thoughts on the Howling from 1981. Ah, the Howling. I I just love it. I. I think one of the things I love about it is that the title is so cool. It's like, I know this is like a, it's not about the movie itself, but the fact that it wasn't like the so-and-so werewolf or werewolf this or werewolf that, it was just like the howling. And I just thought it's just such a cool title because it just, it, it, it just kind of draws in my brain to like the sound of howling in the woods and then connecting that to like, where's it coming from? Um, and then the next thing that always pops into my head, you know, now that I've seen it, is that, like I said, that scene in the house where Terry is getting attacked by the, the werewolf and that just him standing up and looking down on her. And then she tries to get away from him and he there's like a table or a gurney or something. And instead of like pushing it out of his way so he can get to her, he pushes it toward her. And I don't know if they they planned this or what, but it looked like she just barely dodged it from hitting her in the head. <laughs> yeah. Like she kind of backs away from him on the floor and he pushes it toward her and she, she kind of crunches, curls up into a ball and it hits the wall. And I thought that just looked so authentic to me. Yeah. And um, yeah, the transformation in that room. Now I, when I watch the transformation, I think, Oh my God, it's taking like 10 minutes. Like <laughs> if she really, I mean, of course it's a movie, so they wanted to show it, but I'm like, if I was really in that situation, I could be in the next zip code by the time the guy finished transforming. Yeah. <laughs> like, my God. But it was still cool. And I, I just loved watching the, all the stuff. And, and the, when Terry cut the arm off with the ax and then watched it revert to human, I mean, that for me, I think that whole middle scene is just my favorite part, but I love the whole thing. Yeah. I love the whole thing. Yeah. And I love that, that D Wallace can't like, she, blocks it out like she sees him at the beginning she sees eddie in the in the little porn whatever box yeah closet whatever they call them and um but she 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 keeps saying i don't remember i don't remember but and she like repressed it like she blocked it out because it was so unreal right and then eventually it you know it comes it comes back to her but yeah i thought i just i thought i love this movie i think it's great i when I saw American Werewolf in London, I, I was just like Bill said, expecting it to be scarier. And it kind of, I was kind of annoyed the first time that they were spending so much time being funny and everything. And I was like, can we just get to some like people getting ripped in half and eaten by a werewolf? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like that movie too. But The Howling for me is probably uh, going to go down as my favorite uh, werewolf movie ever yeah and i think there, from, oh go ahead bill there were a lot of movies around this time also that made uh the whole uh, the way that people were embracing psychology it, it it was turned into sort of like a gag or even a threat in these movies like it was like invasion of the body snatchers from 78 yeah like they, they kind of like recast the body snatchers scenario against in the 50s it was communism you know, that's what the first film was sort of like striking at these feelings of like communism uh, or, or even the Red Scare, like anti-communism invading mm -hmm. everyday life and turning people against each other. And here it, it's sort of psychology that's doing it because this 
famous psychologist has just written this book and it's a bestseller and oh it turns out he's a werewolf and he runs a colony for werewolves right yeah so it's sort of suspicious of those kinds of people and i think that makes this movie work too you know no matter how you feel about psychology it, it doesn't really yeah. matter it's just sort of like the 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 springboard for this type of uh, sort of in joke commentary and, you know that's what i was going to say because you know i love this movie i've seen it several times since since it came out and you know that whole thing about with patrick mcnee like you mentioned you know that is coming right off of the heels of all that self-help movement stuff that was going on in the 70s. It, it kind of reminded me of The Brood a little bit in that way. That too, yeah. You know, so no matter how you slice it, though, I think this is definitely a great werewolf movie. You know, the effects are groundbreaking. I certainly recommend it. I also recommend the sequels, the C. Thomas Howling followed by Thurston Howling the Third. I thought those were really good, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, those weren't the sequels. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> what about Howling 2? Your sister is a werewolf. Right. Christopher <laughs> Lee really slumming it for that one. <laughs> I, I dig that movie. I'm sorry. I think that's kind of an awesome movie because it's just so weird and so not a werewolf movie. I'll have to, like I'll have the, to watch the, that again. The 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 the, the, ma the monster masks in it were from Planet of the Apes, right? They were they weren't even werewolves in it, and they were it was clearly masks. There's no way that that movie could hold a candle to anything the original did. But I think it's kind of weird and wacky, and I like it. I'll have to watch that one again because it's like I, all I remember is like Sybil Danning. Like there's a sequence in the was it the end credits where her shirt's getting ripped off like over and over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, she they had to talk her into doing that because she didn't want to do it. And she was like, OK, I'll do it. And she just did one take where she ripped her shirt open and um, they the director repeated it like 17 times over the end credits <laughs> for maximum boobage. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure my mother covered my eyes when we were watching that at the movie theater. <laughs> 17 times she did. <laughs> oh, got to cover. Oh, got to cover. Oh, <laughs> Roger, look down there. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode of this year's 13 Days of Hallotober. Don't forget to check out our website at havenpodcasts.com where you'll find our other shows, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers' kung fu films and spaghetti westerns from the 60s to the 80s, and the Cult Movie Lounge, where we talk about all cult movies all the time. And check out our live monthly streaming show, Fright Lounge, in which the best horrorologists in town discuss horror media for the seasoned horror fan, as well as introducing newbies to the genre. And at our website, you can also find my blogs, Then Is Now, The Films of John Saxon, and horror films of the 1970s. If you like what you're hearing, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that other listeners can find us. Thank you for joining us today, and have a wonderful October. like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com